The Big Sip. Hey, 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 ¿cómo andamos? This is Gabriela, your host from The Big Sip. So excited right now because, you know, we're in Latino Heritage Month right now, Hispanic Heritage Month. I am so stoked to actually have with me an incredible winemaker who is going to be a part of the upcoming Latinx State of the Wine Industry Virtual Summit taking place on October 13th. If you haven't yet followed the social media pages, make sure you're doing that at Latinx Wine Summit. But one of the incredible individuals who's going to be a part of that event is someone who makes amazing wine from a region that doesn't really get talked about too often. I'm talking about Lodi, California, one of the oldest wine growing regions in the country. So it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to all of you Chris Rivera from Seis Soles. From Lodi, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I really appreciate the opportunity. I've been seeing what you've been doing on the space. It's funny that as Latinos on social media, we're all starting to see what everyone's doing, mm-hmm. seeing how we vibe or anything. And and uh, I see you putting work, and I'm sure other people are seeing each other putting work. And and I'm really excited to be here. So thanks for the opportunity. Well, thank you. I am so honored that you're here, and you're right. I mean, that's the cool thing about social media, right? I mean, this is you can use it for the wrong things, but the great part is right now there is never, especially in the last year, felt like there's this energy where people of color, Latinos, black people, Asian people are connecting, bonding over their love and appreciation of wine and being like, yo, where you been? Like, let's connect. Like, how can we talk about this? How can we support? How can we help each other? Just from reading up on you, the incredible things that you've done with Say Soles, and that's why I'm so excited for you to be a part of the event. I'm so honored that you're here to sit with me, to sit from your cup, because, you know, that's where that's where it's all born. Yeah, you know, it's been a, like a snowballing effect. You start seeing it growing, compounding, because like, you know, this probably existed before, but I launched post-COVID, and then it was in the atmosphere of when George Floyd was murdered, mm. and then after that, people were just saying, like, look, um, they were so frustrated and didn't know what to do. Some of it manifested in, like, let's support these communities, black-owned mm-hmm. businesses. Mm-hmm. People jumped in on that space. What I was seeing is that, like, dang, black folks are doing it way better than Latinos. Latinos mm. aren't unified in this way. No. And then other people happened to see it, too, I guess, and just started doing it, and now I'm in awe of all these people, and I'm like, oh, I get to participate because... Yeah. Uh, I was focused on Seis Soles, and around that grew like a community of people just putting in work and trying to amplify each other's message. So I'm like, okay, I want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Teach me, because I'm just a blunt instrument. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll put in work, but uh, oh, I Oh, we know you put in work. We have five beautiful wines here. Oh, y'all, first of all, let me let you know, I feel like I'm being treated today. Chris brought in five stunning wines so that we could do a live tasting while we're also hosting this interview. So it is a treat today. We might start to learn by the end, right? <laughs> But we're no judgment zone, right? No judgment zone. No judgment zone. So we have five blends. I uh, have a white blend. We'll start there. I don't know if you want me to pour it over that. Right. Yeah. Albarino and Grenache Blanc. Albarino and Grenache Blanc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, have Albarino. you had those separately before? Have you had those wines? Not to, had definitely Blanc. not together. Right. Um, I have had Grenache, um, and I love, 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 love Albarino. Where are you sourcing your Albarino from Lodi? Yeah, Macomb River. Lodi is always known for like Zinfandels and Reds, but uh, we have a bunch of stuff going on there, including a lot of whites. Yeah, and you need like those warmer climates to successfully grow Albarino, don't you? Yeah, it, it could be. Um, cooler climates do it as well too, but it'd be like hard to ripen. Uh, you get more of kind of like. Like salinity and and notes of like earth as opposed to fruit notes that we get in Lodi. Mm. So if you smell it, all that kind of rich fruit, just natural oh to my the, gosh. the grape from so there, good, right? so good. Yeah. So the whole idea behind this one is kind of like a porch pounder style. You know, like, <laughs> Uh, chill on it. It's uh, it's harvested by hand, harvested at a chemistry level that's meant for like these lighter styles, 12% mm. alcohol, good acid, natural acid. I'm not harvesting them later. Wow. It almost tastes like creme brulee, 
but not like sweetness like Moscato. Like like if you were to have like some fresh raspberries on creme brulee with like some really nice stone fruit. Yeah, and the interesting thing about this is very low residual sugar, so it's just uh, the fruit notes tend to give you a, a sense of sweetness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of residual sugar, but then now that it's been aging in the bottle for a bit, some of these more aged qualities come through. When you get like a little bit of oxygen in there, you're starting getting some honey notes. Uh, Definitely that, that picking up the honey. Before, you know, yeah. Definitely picking up the honey. And so is it's this not sugar? All... It's honey, but it's not sugar. No, yeah. exactly. Is and is this all stainless steel, or are you using? Yeah, oak? no oak on these specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I have two that are on the lighter side, and then I go on the big Lodi side on this side. Over here. Ooh, yeah. how, excited! How, how do you like oak? How do I like are oak? You, are you a fan? Of I'm oak a and I'm a big fan of oak. Not on my white wines necessarily. I think that's where you know those buttery chardonnays come into play. And I'm yeah. like, I want it bright. I want that acid. I want something very mineral sure. forward. But when it comes to reds, I love the baking spice characteristics that longer oak times that the wine is spent in there usually usually give off in the wine the peppery like bold nature. Yeah, and that's the reason why I did it. So like seven years in Lodi of making wine and I work in certain tasting rooms and have opportunities to pour. You saw what people liked so I, I said well when i want to make wines for latinos that are getting into the wine industry what i learned is making styles that like at least at first they'll really enjoy because they're gonna mm-hmm. be easy to drink and then they can progress or change to something else mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so uh that's what i'm talking about like so i made some three blends and i didn't make a cabernet because maybe a big cab might be a little too much when you're first starting out in wine you'll get there it's like the first time you had tequila you know everyone wants to pretend like the first time i had a beer whiskey tequila lo que sea and they're like oh i always liked it nah the first time you had it you were probably like oh like that's a little harsh yeah that's but, an acquired taste you grew to like it yeah yep. exactly you just gotta keep drinking some more of it <laughs> it was just the context of you're at a party so you know like well i'm gonna take another one <laughs> yeah. right but exactly oh my gosh cool well i'm so stoked but you were right when you said latinos don't really do that for each other and i do think part of that is generationally i think about my parents generation and how everybody was really like to each their own also because of the cheese man you just didn't want to get involved even though they would be there like in la cortina watching what you were still doing anyways but i feel like it's our generation that's like we can't keep stepping on each other thinking that's the solution to us making it to the top like if we're gonna make it to the top let's make sure we're not the only ones at the top we're bringing each other with us because at the end of the day we're all just trying to like grow and get up there and it feels so much better when you have a community around you that not only supports you maybe financially with your actual investment of your product but then when it comes to like the emotion side right like that community aspect where you really feel like you have somebody that you can lean on for whatever you need yeah i think we all have these stories to tell and at first it was this energy of like man like i have to be the latino winemaker the mexicano and it's like why do you have to be the one that's something people are going to glom onto but they want to know your story Mm -hmm. they might see chris and he's a mexican-american business owner let's support him but i want to hear their story Mm -hmm. if my wine's not good if my story's not good they're not going to come back so let's not pretend like we can't grow our audiences right so latinos and mexicanos in general we represent like probably less than one percent of wine sales nationwide so why are we competition let's go get this bag you know let's go let's go let's do go this. get this bag let's yeah, go do this our, our latinos are starting to grow in political power and purchasing 100%. power influence i mean not even growing we're there already yeah i mean know? the census came out this year and it the results showed that we are now the majority in california like 
I don't even answer the door. I'm like, nah, no, I'm good. Oh my gosh. (laughs) He went there. No, Uh, no, but you're right. And I mean, they're already projecting that, you know, within a couple of years, Latinos alone will hold about $1.9 trillion in buying power in this wine industry. So it's like, let's start catering to Latinos. Let's start including them in marketing. Let's start having a conversation around uplifting Latinx, Hispanic winemakers, producers, whoever you are in the industry. And that's why it's so great to be able to taste your wines because your whole story is one of pride and one of tradition dating back to your Mexican roots. Yeah, exactly. And you know what's so interesting is seeing people's interpretations because as Latinos, as Mexicanos, for my for my community, Salvadoreños probably do the same thing. We put our own kind of uh, negative spin on this. So when I was going to do the wine, people would tell me, mijo, I really hope you do well, but Mexicanos, we don't drink wine. Like, what are you doing? Tequila, cerveza, lo que sea. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we do do that, but like our cuisine is world renowned. Mm. So we know flavors, textures, and experiences, and wine pairs with that super well. Mm-hmm. So what is it? I, I always thought it was more of a, I tend to be a person that I have much more in common with a poor white person than I do with a rich Mexicano, right? Mm. Like, it's more of a class thing. A lot of the Mexicanos, anyone from Latin America that tends to be here at this point, probably is a little more like descendants from working class individuals. So yeah. most working classes just aren't going to get into wine right away. Well, so, and it's also expensive when yeah. we think about, too, like, where are these wines being sourced from? If we're talking about Napa Valley wine, right? Because you can get be. some bomb wine, Chilean wine, too, that's affordable. and But people don't really tend to think about that because there's this association around, you know, California wine and like the beauty of like even European wine, old world wine. And that's just, it doesn't always have to be the case. There's beautiful wines to be found everywhere. Yeah. And there's a lot of voices echoing of like, well, that's not real wine. Cause like, look, there's a lot of great affordable wine out there. My price points are in the middle. I put a lot of work into them, a lot of uh, barrels and stuff like that. But there are some wines that are exceptional out there. And you're talking about outside of the United States, you have Chilean and Argentinian wines, uh, Italian wines, all of them that could be sub $12 and amazing. So mm-hmm. uh, let's get that in front of our folks so they can know that it's out there. It's out there. Absolutely. So I I like what you said. That's interesting to me. When you originally decided to start your venture into winemaking, you were met then with challenges from your family thinking that what like no le vas a hacer like it was the wrong industry for you to be in like what what was that feedback that you were receiving from from the people who were around you yeah yeah it was more of like support but like trepidation of like look this doesn't make sense like if not somebody would have already done it and part of me was like well that kind of makes sense but no it doesn't i think the wine industry is archaic in general Mm. and latinos some of us that get into the industry, we pick up on those archaic tendencies where we want to make our wines also look like a chateau and all this stuff, but that's not our vibe. That's not our flavor. It's so, not us. Yeah, I don't want some off-white label with a, a dusty old building on the front. That, that's not me, and that's not Latinos. That's not what speaks to us. So I think that's what they're picking up on. I never got negativity of like, you, Chris, can't do this, or you can't make it work. It was more of like doubting ourselves, saying like, almost like we're genetically predisposed to not enjoy wine and that makes no sense whatsoever and but now that i actually got it out once they actually saw the labels those same people were like oh you changed my mind my my friends are into this so now it's overwhelming support and it was never like strong lack of support it was just everybody doubted it you know and and i I, i'd be lying if i didn't say i was doubting it too 
but uh, mm -hmm. me arriesgué, man. I said, I'm going to do it. And he did me, the damn thing. <laughs> and she's like, go do it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but that's real though. When your mom te persina, that's like a whole different kind of love. That's right. You mentioned that your friends, as soon as they saw the label, as soon as they just saw the whole thing come to life, it was like their mindset changed because you're right. We're so used to feeling a veces that in order to succeed, we have to fit this particular mold that we can't just show up authentically as ourselves and even your labels like I'm taking a look at one of the dopest labels I have seen here and I can tell just by looking at it that has roots all the way back to Mexico all the way right. you don't see that and so when we allow ourselves to bring in cultura when we allow ourselves to be real when we allow ourselves to be authentic then we inspire other people to be like oh snap like this is for me like I do like this this doesn't seem like some pretentious thing that only a specific type of person can enjoy yeah I think the wine industry thrived earlier on on ex exclusivity like oh if you're lucky enough to make it out to Napa and Sonoma and I don't want to single these places out I love Napa and Sonoma but with many regions in California and all have their specific flair I go up to Amador I go down to Santa Barbara Temecula by the Guadalupe like Ooh. it's all out there right but it did thrive on exclusivity and lack of uh, inclusion. Like, yeah. So, I mean, it's just like diamonds. Um, they say there's a bunch out there, but because they limit how much gets out there, we value it more. But why does like beer, why do they get to have so much fun with their labels and their kind of marketing? Uh, they can put a little F word there and have a little fun with it. And, and it makes them much more like less stuffy, you know, and us as millennials and Gen Z, like we're looking for something like that. We're looking for something that vibes with us, that has some flair, some some attitude, you know. And yep. so I, I wanted to make say soles that was specifically Latino. So for those of that haven't seen the label, it's the center of the Aztec calendar, the very center. But then we changed around a couple things, added some wine bottle and a wine glass, trying to keep it, you know, you obviously know that it's of a Latin origin, but it's not that caricature that everybody thinks that, oh, the Mexicanos, they all do other, only Calavera or... Uh, whatever caricature they always think Latinos are into, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Some kind of Day of the Dead thing. You're like, no, no, no. Yeah, and I'm down with that too, and that's all great, but like, that wasn't my style. Why and did you choose to navigate towards this specific image? Um, you know, it was kind of like, I wanted people to know that it was specifically Latino and not like I'm proud of my Mexican roots but I celebrate all the culturas de Latino America you have friends that are all the way from El Salvador mm -hmm. uh, you have Cubans uh, Puerto Ricans and all these different countries that also can enjoy these things right like I want someone from Guatemala to see it and be like look vaguely I see that it has some Native American roots to it it could be Mayan it could be Aztec and that includes a lot of us it does include a lot of us and and the label is one of the most beautiful labels that I've actually ever seen and I love that you're paying homage to your Mexican roots Roots. Talk to me a little bit about just the beginning, the inception, not necessarily of Seis Soles, but like you yourself, what brought you into wine and eventually what led to Seis Soles getting created and Ooh, what the name means. That's a long story. Well, <laughs> no. it's a good thing we got a lot of wine. Yeah, yeah. I, th <laughs> I think I'm like you. I was trying to read up on kind of the things you do and um, you've kind of a person that seems to always find opportunity and try to maximize opportunity. I don't know if you plan on being in radio, but I was looking at your kind of like your degree and everything and it's just kind of like me. I never planned to be in wine. The thought was that like... Uh, my parents are from Michoacan, Mexico. They came here and they worked Ooh. their asses off and they provided for me what they could. And that just doesn't lead to usually having something like wine in the, in the household. So I went to college, drank way too much, drank whatever they put in front of me. I don't know what it was most of the time. Mostly but, tequila, probably. Yeah, no, it was whiskey, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were a pretty multicultural fraternity, so uh, a lot of whiskey. But the idea was that like later on in life, I just took a wine job in the Central Valley because I wanted to be a physical therapist. 
I went to I had to pay very for that. Very so like, different. Well, if I got to go pay for the school, I got to take whatever highest entry level pay that would be out there. And uh, Gallo in the Central Valley that are a family based business out of my hometown of Modesto. Shout out to them. I took a job there and I really liked the idea of like, okay, it was a family owned business, but it was very compartmentalized. I only knew one part. I put this one ingredient and I started going up like the management scale and I was like, all right, this is not what I want to do. But wine, that's crazy. All I knew about wine before was like, we go wine tasting, but unfortunately I was one of those people that would be like, yeah, pour whatever you want in there because I'm getting drunk. You, know, like, you weren't appreciating it for what it is. Never was. And we were in a group of so just having fun with it. Like we weren't trying to be rude or anything, but got to a point where like this wine thing is kind of cool. So how can I actually become a winemaker? And I started asking people, and it's such a saturated field that for like the millions of like either like brush offs I got, some people are like, well, okay, you should try to go to school. You should try to go to a different region. Like you're, you're in a big company. You can't make it work that way. So I jumped to Lodi. Uh, family-owned winery, Clinker Brick Winery. Shout out to them. The Felton Mill Health family. That's where I learned how to make wine under the direction of Joseph Smith. He's from Belize. So cool. Yeah. and Joseph, uh, so cool. Have you met him at all or seen him? I haven't met him personally, but a, literally all the time in every circle that I'm in, people are talking about Joseph and here. I'm so just this like... This guy that oh. taught me to make wine over seven, eight years. He's from Belize and he has the kind of like Afro-Latin look and so he has the experience of being like a black man in the United States. It's a very unique kind of experience and it goes goes into his style of winemaking and everything. And I learned from that, right? So I went to Davis after the fact, did the program there. Amazing. Um, but the most important thing was just getting in there and fermenting, getting my hands on grapes. So I tell people, I have five wines to present to you. I have a thousand wines that I would never want to show you in my life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's how we learn. That's, that's how right. we learn. Yeah, yeah. And so it was kind of a, an aspect of like being encouraged to just try stuff, but also let's get work done because we have a family-owned business that we have a specific mindset on how to get there. And so um, two years ago, if you would have asked me, Chris, are you going to start? Or three years ago, uh, you should start your own label. I was telling people, you're crazy. I've seen so many people try. What they say in the wine industry is if you want to become a millionaire, you got to start out a billionaire. <laughs> right? It's a good way to lose <laughs> It's expensive money. It to do. I mean, winemaking is not easy. Having your own wine brand, there's a lot of money that goes into that. It is. It is. And so like, I, I didn't think I was. And to specifically answer your question, what spurred it? I finally was kind of pushed into it because I was going out in Lodi or just other regions. I want to say specifically it was a bunch of regions. But if I go out there and they don't know that I work in the industry because I don't walk in talking about I work in the industry unless it's a really expensive area. I don't even ask for a discount. They treat you differently. And I'm not one mm -hmm. of those types. I grew up in the Central Valley, man. You got to you gotta have thick skin. I grew up a lot around a lot of good old boys that had a lot of opinions about Latinos and Mexicanos. And because I'm disarming to white people because I don't have an accent, I smile. They tend to feel too comfortable and say some things, right? So I don't go out there trying no to get offended. No soy tu amigo. Yeah. <laughs> I don't try to go out there and get offended. But what I was seeing is like I would go to these tasting rooms. Like I remember one time I was up in some area. I went hiking and then I said, I'm, I'm taking some tasting. I'm by myself. I walk in and there's several people tasting and there's room for me to taste. And I walk in and instead of being like, you know, would you like a taste? What do you want to taste? They're kind of like, oh, you're here to do some work. And I'm like, I'm not your HVAC guy, man. I'm like uh, a guy that came to taste some wine. And that's not hugely offensive, but like. No, it is. And mm -hmm. we're allowed to feel that way. And that happens with us way too often when we enter rooms or we're in situations where we're like, am I feeling too sensitive about this? But it's like, no, because yeah. only we understand what that feeling is like, like in the pit of your stomach where you notice the vibe immediately changed the moment you walked in the room or someone looks at you in a way where they're assuming that either you don't belong or you don't have the money to be here or any of the other laundry list of whatever perceptions they're projecting onto you that does change up the way that the interaction is. And it's not the same as maybe the white individual who's right next to them. 
Yeah, and so when I say that it's not that big of a deal, like in the hierarchy of shit that we get as like BIPOC people, it's on the lowest scale. Like it's not the most serious thing. And for me, I try to have thick skin. I don't give a shit. But you see it enough to understand that like this is happening to me, a winemaker in the industry, and I should feel more comfortable and navigate these easier. What does that mean for the standard Latino that's coming in and feeling that like they're less likely to bring their family back, their friends back, come back to taste? And I think that's a big part of why we're not penetrating like this wine industry because a lot of times, man, if they make you feel even subconsciously, they make you feel like you're not supposed to be there and I, I finally got fed up i said all right if so many wineries think their business is so great that they can kind of treat people le- this way and that way let's let's go put in some work and what i kind of thought was like there's not that many there's a bunch of latinos out there they're making some wine they're doing some stuff and we're growing and now we're trying to amplify each other's message right that's what launched me into i'm gonna do my own brand I'm going to do it. And it's the hardest thing, most crazy thing I've ever had in my life. I started getting some <laughs> white hairs in my beard. It's all bad. <laughs> but I'm super excited because people are responding to me like that. They walk up and they're just like instantly like, oh, man, this brand resonates with me. This label resonates with me. And then they're excited to try wine. And I'm not there talking about like what they should and shouldn't like. Try not to make them feel stupid for any questions. And they're kind of like, ah, this could be wine too. I'm like, dude, these experiences exist. But there's this perception that it's all snooty and stuffy. And it's not. It doesn't have to be. Especially. It doesn't have to be no and because we've experienced that we know what we don't want to do the attitude we don't want to come in with and because of that we're able to create spaces that make people feel more welcomed at the table or that make them feel seen in a product because we're having to curate that at the end of the day and that's kind of a beautiful thing right I mean it's it's a double-edged sword because we shouldn't have to have bad things happen or negative experiences in order to feel like all right I need to create something new but at the end of the day like that's how life works and at least if anything comes from that is more people willing to change what those experiences look like so that we can make more space at the table or heck let's just build a completely new table right right now there's a lot of folks putting in like the roots fund are some amazing folks that have been coming out to lodi lodi has its own contingency of wineries that are getting together to amplify that message of roots fund and inclusivity and create opportunities and these are white owned wineries i want people to know that because it makes sense to support wineries that are putting in this kind of work because that's what it's going to take right because there's wineries in Lodi that aren't about it. They're very anti-inclusivity and you can tell. So I like working with folks that put in some work. Roots Fund does. It's just been exciting to see how this is naturally evolving and where you fit in, you know? Absolutely. And it's only going to go up from here. And I know you're actually supporting them with one of their really big initiatives right now, which is a raffle that they're doing. How did you get involved with that? You know what? Um, So through the LAIC, the Lodi branch of wineries that are getting together to work with folks like Roots Funds. So they came through and they had heard like, hey, so they have a Mexicano winemaker. Like, I want to meet them. All right. So we started talking and and then like recently they had uh, one of their scholarship students needed to come and work in Lodi for a month. So I let him stay at my house. Darren? Yeah, Darren. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Darren shout came out to through. Darren. He stayed at my house for a month, was cooking. Oh, we it was all lovely, man. That Darren's was, a homie. He's, he's so dope. He's such a lovely individual, man. Just really uh kind and fun to talk to. He's really interesting so when it comes kind. to wines. Uh, and then he was doing a month in Lodi until he went to France. Until he so went to France. Yeah, right I know. Now. I'm yeah, like, yeah. look at you. I'm like, yeah. just exploring the whole world. So I just keep telling them, hey man, just uh like I said earlier, I'm a blunt instrument. Just point me in a direction. I'm putting work. Just tell me what to do, though. And so I'm just slowly figuring out, and they're figuring out where I fit in. And I just, I think uh, you're very much of the same mind. Like, I'm starting to do something, and I feel like this is going to work. Now I'm trying to look back, and who can I bring with me? You know, who's next? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because it only feels good when you look back, and you're and looking around you, and you're just like, ¿Quién más? Like, puedo traer aquí, and that's you not know? always Latinos. And I would, I, would, I would venture to tell you that most of my negative experiences since launching this has been other Latinos. And that's 100%. And if you're sitting at home listening to this, I'm sure you're like, that doesn't surprise me, actually. 
It doesn't surprise me hearing you say it because it brings me back to, there was this analogy that my mom told me one time when I was really little and I've never forgotten it. Latinos are like the monkeys in the barrels trying to climb up and create a ladder with each other, but you're like smacking down the other monkey as it's like trying to climb up the other monkeys and no one can actually get to the top. Exactly. Because everybody's just in it for themselves and nobody's like finding a way. How do we actually use our arms to grab and pull up the next one and swing them over so then we can look down and grab the next one and swing them over. And that's what it is. And that's the unfortunate thing. Again, I do think part of it has to do with generationally how things have always been done. Because I do think that the attitude is shifting with the millennial generation. And who knows, it's probably going to be even greater with the younger generations coming under us. Yeah. And two things with that, like it's not to disparage Latinos because it's like it's various communities, but I grew up in Latino community. I'm Mexicano. Of course, that's what I saw. But I never had to. I come from a point of privilege. I never had to cross a, a desert to get here and risk my life yeah. to try to build a better world. I didn't come from an area that was like war torn or filled with gangs that were so deadly to me personally that I had to risk that. So like when you go through that, of course, all you've known is that like the only one I can count on is me and my loved ones. 100%. And so I get all that. I get all that. But I'm not even talking about those folks, man. There's just some aprovechados out there and it happens in every community. Every community is going to be taking care of people that are within their own community, people that look and sound like them because we tend to trust them more because I'm like, hey, you have a shared living experience. You must be looking out for me. And what I've learned is just that you can't always think that way, you know? No, and, you can't. Uh, but now that I've been reaching out, I have people like Gabriela that are just like, look, man, we're, <laughs> we're all going to do this together in our own way. And put in our, you know, buck 05 and let's make this work. And now I'm awash with like Latinos that are super supportive and I'm so excited to collaborate with them. Absolutely. And we're just going to keep that power going. Ooh, yay, I get the next one. <laughs> so I made this specifically uh, for like my tias and primas that drink Stella Rosa, right? Why is that the brand that Latinos know best? Why is that the only brand that really is speaking to Latinos, even though they're not Latinos themselves? And if people like it, drink it, man. I tell them, drink what you want. Yeah. But let's, I'll try to make a traditional wine version that has something similar. Really easy to drink, a lot of fruit notes, uh, some residual sugar, and there's light carbonation there, not where you'll see it in your glass, but hopefully it lifts that sugar and makes it kind of light and yeah. not syrupy. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it almost has a little bit of like that um, effervescent characteristic where it's like you feel like something's dancing on your palate. It's yeah. beautiful. The idea is that for Latinos, what what do they like about that? And how can we replicate that in a traditional version, you know? And what do you think that they like about it? The sweetness or? Yeah, I think that's anybody. It's not even specific to Latinos. Anybody that drinks wine at first, my black friends, my American friends, white friends, Asian friends, if they're starting off, they're drinking the Moscato. The Sutter uh, Home Moscato, yeah. Uh, white Zins. That's just natural to people that are getting into it, you know? That's and, so um, true. That's where I started, you exactly. know? Back in college, but exactly. two yeah, buck yeah. check. <laughs> what we could afford. Yeah, I, I took anything <laughs> they would pour for us. Um, so uh, we used to drink Boone's Farm back in the day. Oh, yeah. 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 And then uh, in college, we got into um, Night Train. You ever heard of that? Mm -mm. It's like Cisco. Mm-mm. They're only available like in liquor stores that, and they were like a dollar and a half. It was technically wine. It wasn't even liquor, but man. And so we would go to the liquor stores and they'd be like, man, only you dumb college kids will drink this. Like, but they stopped it. So we went, you know? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, thanks for our sales this month. That's before I escalated to, uh, to two buck chuck. Uh, there yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah. And way before you started producing your own <laughs> exactly, wine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you pouring me? I'm pouring you my red blend. Uh, this is Saran Cabernet on French Oak. Um, this is kind of like my idea for progression. So for those of you listening, we, um, we poured a rose and a white and now moving on to a red and this red is kind of luscious it's viscous it's a it's a standard lodi red that has big characteristics although it's not dry so it should have a really smooth finish because when i think of latinos and if they're trying vino tinto for the first time the last thing you need is big tannins on the back end i love too as you're talking about these wines that is beautiful by the way 
Thank you. Still has some nice body and some nice tannins to it, but it's all lush at the end of the day. And you're right. Like if you, if your whole goal was to not just create a label that Latinos could see themselves in or, you know, a wine or a product, but you're also boiling it down to those finite details of how is this wine even going to sit on your palate? And you're literally tailoring everything, keeping in mind tu cultura and the way that we tend to historically approach wine, the fact that you're coming first and foremost with the way on figuring out how to make this easy to drink, because at the end of the day, any wine drinker, whether you're Latino or not, but also primarily Latinos, they're going to want something that's just easy to drink. That's why they gravitate towards the Moscatos and towards like all of these other wines with like high residual sugar that just ends up tasting sweet at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the evolution of a lot of people. They start with sweet and they're going to progress. And that's the idea behind Cezoles is that you can start at one side and just kind of, it's not even a progression. It's just a change. Your palate's going to naturally change. Um, and what I want to do is just keep myself in that space because, like, if you see Latino influencers that are in the wine space, if you're an enthusiast and and about wine, you're naturally just going to evolve and change and really get into niche stuff. But how is that message really conducive to bringing new people in? Mm. I got to stay where the new people need to be. I can make a nice, big, juicy cab that has some tannin because that's what I personally like. But if I'm really trying to make wine for someone that's new to wine, am I really staying true to my message or, or my, my goal, right? It's, That's people, actually a really good point. It's like, let's say you want to introduce someone to like uh, sushi or sashimi, you know, and you automatically start with the, the most rarest fish and, and it's it's really some sauce that is just uh, really strong and, and super flavorful. All wasabi. Yeah. And- <laughs> And a lot of people might be like, well, that's what I like. Yeah, you got there. But for someone that's barely getting into that food, is that the best approach? That is a They approach. need the California roll. <laughs> yeah. And, and then not even that. It could be like something that had like a tempura fried in there, right? But with some different sauces. And then while they're eating that, you're like, hey, bro, I can see that you're enjoying that. You want to try my roll? And it's more of a natural progression. This is the more traditional way to eat sushi and sashimi. This is what you do. And if you don't, you're not respecting the culture and this and that. Like, or you could just be like, look. Try what you like, and you're going to naturally build your way to something different. 100%. 100%. And a lot of people don't keep that in mind. And, you know, that's not to say that you can't at some point, because, I mean, at the end of the day, no estás trabajando duro. You're not working this hard to not do things that you don't like. So maybe down the line at some point, as you build up new people coming in, you can offer them other things for them to continue progressing. But what you're doing, I mean, this is this is amazing. Your white blend, that was beautiful. You said Grenache Blanc and uh, Albarino. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I love Albarino. Oh, so delicious. <laughs> um, I didn't know that you could find Albarino in Lodi, though. And I did want to ask you about that because I know that Lodi is usually one of those appellations that's left out of the conversation. When people think about California wine, they think Napa Valley, right? The wine mecca of California. But actually, California and Napa Valley specifically only produces about 4% of all of the wines coming from California. And the opposite of that, Lodi is actually the primary producer for all California wines, if not the oldest wine growing region in the country. So talk to me about this and the importance of including Lodi in that narrative, seeing that that's like where you're coming from. Yeah, you know what? It's it's such an amazing story of like how Lodi is progressing and being recognized. And I hate to say the word progressing. They're progressing. The world is trying to, is finally getting to know them. But we don't have a chip on our shoulder about it because like if you talk to the global wine market, United States is nothing. I was doing some WSET reading, right? And so I'm trying to do the WSET 3. And hey. in there, you have a whole book and they talk about every specific French region, Italian region. And they go super into detail into villages. And then you get to the United States and it's United States and 
and Canada are two pages long. The global wine world thinks that the American wine experience is a joke. And I don't know if people are going to be like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just saying from the educational materials, 100%. we don't get that respect. And part of it is because we get a lot of leeway where France, if a specific village, you can only do a specific thing. And it's a geographical location that you can't go outside of. Yep. And we have some freedoms here in the United States. And I roll with that. That's why I make five blends because I can make different tastes. Because um, you're not stuck to only producing the grape that's native to your land. Exactly. And so Lodi is another place that celebrates that, that we are predominantly known for Zinfandels because we have old vine Zinfandels, like the company, that family I work for, Clinker they have 130 year old vines that's insane right and that's just not common you don't have old vine cabernet because it doesn't sustain itself as long uh you don't have these other varieties because for any given reason even prohibition ripped a lot of stuff out but zinfandel made it through and and now when you look at lodi it's like the lodi ava that has seven sub appellations itself is like about 500,000 acres Right. And that's just part of the Lodi smaller AVA. And then the larger Central Valley region is the biggest grape growing region. So there has to be diversity there. And most people would think, no, not really. But we grow Chardonnay and Cabernet. That's the most of what we do. The biggest varieties in the world, right? Cabernet and Chardonnay, biggest selling varieties in the world. So Lodi also grows the most of those. But when you think about Lodi, they think about Zinfandel's. Uh, it's a warmer place. They always think reds. But what they don't think is that like, hey, as a winemaker, as a grape grower, um, you can tailor your practices to evoke beautiful flavors and profiles out of different wines. So I'm not harvesting my whites at the same time as reds. I'm harvesting really early. So where I might be doing a, a Cabernet sometime in October, the Salvarino and Grenache Blanc is coming in late July, early August, you know, and mm. we're harvesting natural acidity. And so that's possible in these areas like Lodi where, and during the day we're hot. It's hot. It's hot. But well, that's why I was surprised about the Chardonnay when you mentioned it. I was like, it can grow there? But we're directly east of San Francisco. Which Facts, is, true. Right, and there's no landmass between us. So at night when the valley starts to try to cool down, we suck in that cold maritime air. It's a little warmer by the time it gets to us, but th this is a big thing they talk about is diurnal cool. temperatures in Lodi. So I might have a 105 degree day one day, but by the nighttime, it's going to be in the 50s again. You're able to have a longer growing period, so you're not getting into your sugars right away, so you're having more of a maturation on the grapes. And so that also lends to these versions. And what I was telling you earlier about this white and the rosé is that they're harvested for white and rosé. They're not byproducts of like something else. So the chemistry is there, uh, lower pH, higher acid, uh, really kind of lower alcohol and, and, and a lighter fare is what I'm trying to do with these. And Lodi does it like no other. It's like Alvarino capital of the world, it seems like, because the family winery that I worked for at one point were the biggest domestic Albarino producers. Really? Yeah, and it's that many that many acres or anything like that, but it's just such an unknown grape, but people are starting to get into it. And oh so my gosh, I did not know that. Yeah, because it's a Spanish grape, so for those of you who don't know, Albarino and Grenache Blanc, not traditionally blended. Albarino from northern Portugal, northern Spain, Grenache Blanc is a French grape, but like I do, say Soles can do whatever it wants, have a good time. Hell yeah. And we're trying to create a, a fun time, so this is a really fruit forward, easy drinking uh, wine. If you've never had say Soles at all, first of all, highly recommend you cop yourself a bottle. Second, you've got to get your hands on this white blend because that Grenache Blanc and Albarino blend is amazing. The honey that we were talking about earlier, it's like, it's not sweetness like the Moscato. It's just enough to just make your mouth just water and want more. Yeah, the, these have natural kind of fruit expressions. Lodi is always known for fruit forward wines. Even my reds are really fruit forward, just darker, jammier notes, uh, uh, bright red fruit, uh, cherry. But here you're getting kind of like apple, pineapple, guava. Lemon, lime zest, guava, passion fruit. All that's coming through and it's natural to it. And as the wine gets a little bit older, it's, it's going to start attracting some of those honey flavors. And that's what I love that you, Gabriela, as uh, someone that isn't wine, drinks wine, ha has found something already that you like. And then I have a rosé that has a, a little bit more residual sugar because we all know my tias and my primas. <laughs> they like, like the stuff that's sweet. Yeah, 
so I like if a moscato is about let's say thirty grams of sugar, this one's about thirteen, so it's less than half. So it's enough to create a presence of just really this perceived easy sweetness. And, yeah, and it cuts that acid and it makes it a very enjoyable experience. And I love wines with high acid. I love it. But for my community that's getting into it right now, I'm trying to do some different. And that's the whole reason why Cesoles was created to begin with. That's right. Yeah, and it's important to stay aligned and to remember why you're doing what you're doing. Definitely a wine though that my tias and my stepmom particularly would love. Yeah, I, I had a hilarious experience when I first started. Like even before I made my wine, my tia was like, "Hey, your, your tia and I are about to have an anniversary. I want your best bottle from the wine you work at." I'm like, "Tia, okay, I'll, I can get you my best bottle, but like, what about if I just buy you something I think you're gonna like?" And they're like, "Mijo, I want your best bottle." And I said, "Okay, tia, of course." So I give it to him, and then I go visit the next, like you know, after the next week. And of course, you're, when you're a Mexicano in your tia's house, you help yourself to whatever. So I go to the fridge, open it up, and I'm like, "Tia, cómo le gustó el vino?" Oh, mijo, nos encantó. We loved it. We loved it. It was such a good wine. My uncle, oh, Chris, thank you so much. We enjoyed everyone. And I look down at the bottom of the fridge, and there's like 10 milliliters gone, and there's cap. <laughs> and I was like, is that right? Because that looks like the bottle I gave you at the bottom of the fridge. They're like, oh, my God. You know, I'm sorry. And like, <laughs> it just wasn't for us. And I'm like, I knew that was the case. It was a big red tanneke wine. Like, which was You're like, like oh, it's not what I was trying to give you to begin with. But that's what you wanted. You know, but now they get it. Now they they coming through and they're like, "Mijo, this is the ones that I want. Let me get that." All right, cool. You know. Do you like, do tastings with your families in time. order to get them involved in the winemaking process and to just show them that like vino can be for them? Not in the winemaking process specifically yet, because like it's just me and I'm working out of like a small corner out of a bigger winery, and I just can't have people there. Once I open my own taste room and everything, but they've been super supportive. I just had a, a little event out that. in Luxe Sirius, which is like a smaller town next to Modesto, and there's a wine shop there. We had an event where it was a Sunday afternoon so people had already been drinking beer watching football and and it was a rowdy crowd and i went to pour wine so i'm looking like a nerd over there in my blazer <laughs> and they're like who's this for and i'm just like well i got some wine and they're like well let me try and, and it ended up being a super positive experience but i didn't specifically invite my family because i wanted to keep an opportunity later on when i open a taste room to be like look i haven't asked you to come anything you have to come to this you have to yeah, you have to so i didn't say anything and then lo and behold i looked to my left and the whole crew of my family just rolls in i love that yeah, my deal straight from work still had dirt from the field and shit and then i have my cousins and my uh other cousins that don't even drink wine but they're there to be like go try my cousin's wine it was beautiful i i you know i, I kind of get goosebumps talking about it right now because like i didn't invite them and they, they came out and they they, they, showed, they, up. they showed up they supported that was amazing y así como andaban, you know because at the end of the day I don't know. I can't speak to your family. I can speak to my family. A lot of them are, you know, vineyard stewards as a recent term that Sam Para taught me sounds a whole lot better than vineyard workers. So what they're doing. They're, you know, the stewards of our vineyards. That's good um, but what it's taught me, and this takes me back to something that you mentioned earlier too, about just your experience sometimes going into tasting rooms. You know, if you don't look a certain part or if I do show up in my, you know, my Wranglers or my Levi's with my dirty boots, cause maybe I just spent the entire day like out in the field, like picking these grapes, something that, you know, we're still a part of in wine, just a different process. And I'm going to be treated differently. Like that is where what you're doing helps to break all of that because you don't end up creating an environment where people feel like they can't be a part of something. Because at the end of the day, when we think about it, we're talking about ag. At the end of the day, that's what this is. It's we're in a, a field that's you get your hands dirty. There's dirt. It's the vineyard. Like, and so why do we try to make it this like bougie exclusive, like, high-end thing when it's like, yo, we're talking about dirt and grapes. Like, we have bugs in our hair right now from picking at 4 a.m. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just, it is what it is. Yeah, and it, it's such an interesting thing. And so that's what they're trying to do is make it just so much more low-key and, and welcoming. Like, not too long ago, uh, I was having a small little event in someone's backyard. 
they were making some food, trying to get, navigate this COVID thing. And a couple hits me up on Instagram. They're like, hey, we're coming through the Central Valley. We want to come check out your wine. We've been following you. And they show up and they're two L.A. roqueros, man. They're all decked out in just like black, the ear gauges. They were super lovely. And they're like, look, your brand, man, made me feel like I wanted to try this. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. Because Latinos, we are of all different types and, and, and styles. And, oh, I was so proud that like, oh, okay, so this feels like really welcoming to you. They're like, yeah. And it made us divert our, our trip just to come see you. And I was like, okay, we're on to something. We're, we're, we're on to something. We're going to keep trying to build on it, you know? Damn, that's huge. They diverted their whole trip just to come check you out. That must make you feel so good. Oh, it does, man because it's surreal like I, I get cringy with compliments I am a big ham but when like it comes to personally talking about me I get all shy and stuff and <laughs> oh I hate it I but think we all kind of hate talking about ourselves not we everyone. like want to like crawl yeah. <laughs> crawl up in a ball yeah so it, it, I take the compliments how they come but um the the fact that it is resonating with people and and it's having the effect that I want like now I just gotta learn how to scale it and build it yeah what are your what are some like future plans that you have like when it comes to your wine like I keep hearing you talking about a tasting room like is that like the next goal that you're working towards it's something I want to do because people want it. Uh, it wasn't really a big thing for me because I didn't want to localize. Like, I'm not just trying to affect Latinos in the Central Valley. I want Latinos in the Bay. And uh, actually, Latinos in Orange County and San Diego have been super supportive. I'm, I'm down there all the time. Uh, people are like, why are you always on the road? I'm like, because that's where they're calling me from, man. I'm coming down to San Diego, Orange County. Uh, the Latinos and the white folks that are like very into the Latino culture, you know, because they're the ones that are helping me build this. So like, I want to be in SoCal. I want to be in Texas, Arizona. I want to be in uh, some shelf in Missouri that, you know, because we have a traveling farm workers that are out there. We have East Coast folks. I, I want it everywhere. So my goal is to try to build this and get distributed and grow. A taste room, I think, is a fun experience and I want to do that. But uh, now I'm trying to have this available in, in a lot of areas. I love that. And you know what? With the hard work that you keep putting in it's never for nothing so i know that you can get there and when you have people in your corner in your village like it just helps it out even more and yaki estamos like that's what all of this is for is to like help out one another so i'm excited to watch that come to fruition and in however many years when that happens to literally sit down with you and be like yo remember when we were talking about yeah, this exactly. happening <laughs> you know i hope the next time we have a conversation i'm like hey i had my first like bipoc intern you know, someone now I'm teaching them. I have these dreams of having like my own winery, but having kind of like a, a portion of it that's more educational. So, hey, you're going to work a harvest. You're going to we're going to talk about what kind of wine you want to do beforehand. And we're going to work through a protocol and you're going to execute it. And at the end of the day, you're going to have maybe not a fully matured red wine that you're going to put out. But if it's a white wine. But the idea is that I want them to get these hands on experience because I, I did the classes. But at the end of the day. What I remember and what really helped was just putting Doing my hands the on work. the grapes. Yeah. And so my biggest boundaries were when I was getting into this is just being taken seriously because they're just like, well, I know you've been working in winemaking, but like, come on. And and that's me after having been working in the wine industry. So say you're a, a person of color that's trying to get in the industry and you don't necessarily even have that background. Nobody's showing you love, but you got people like Roots Fund that's making it happen and I'm going to try to make it yeah. happen and we're all going to make it happen. I love that. It's you. It's people like the Roots Fund. It's people like Hugh Society, Wine Unify, that is literally creating that inspiration and dreams and hopes that this can keep going. And like, that's something that's so damn beautiful. I loved hearing you talk about wanting to continue that education for the people, you know, who will come after you because that's also the other thing, right? Is like, what do we do with all this knowledge? Like you have to keep passing it on. Like it can't just stay with you forever. And that's how you inspire other people to like get into whatever they're going to get into. Who, who have been some of the people that have inspired you along the way as you've been navigating your whole winemaking world? Man, shout out again to Joseph Smith. Um, I think that's been a big part of it. And other than that, like, I feel like I've been grinding so hard that I have my my head down. But now I'm starting to like collaborate with folks. Like, uh, so shout out to like Jessica.
Jessica down in San Diego. She has Wine and Cheese, my podcast. She's one of the first people to be like, look at your brand. Let me amplify it. And that opened so many doors, cascading. So shout Love out to that. her. Mario from 808 Beats up in Hell Grove. We were like, hey, like you have a similar vibe. Let's talk. And he's been such a nice guy. He's the one who introduced me to like Armando Tam and uh, I love Armando and, and, and Jayton. And so uh, just kind of collaborating them once in a while. Uh, Surcos, you have Luis and then you have Ortega yep. family. You know? yep. so, All those uh, dudes are so cool. So I'm continually being kind of like influenced and I guess kind of inspired. But I, I don't know if I could point to anyone other than Joseph Smith that taught me how to make wine, man. And so I'm not going to pretend to throw other names on there just so I can have all these names to throw out. Like he's the one that taught me how to make wine. When I told many people that like, hey, I want to be a winemaker, they kind of like, oh, that's cute, man. Good, good luck. And this is the first guy that was like, well, I need help in this way. And if you do this help in this way, I'll teach you whatever you want. And he was super open with knowledge. Winemakers, we're, we're a finicky bunch. We're emotional. We clutch pearls, but not this guy. You don't want to give away your secret sauce. That's right. That's right. And he didn't care, man. He's just like, look, we're out here to make good wine and we're going to make it. And uh, that's how I learned because he never held back. So shout out to him specifically. And then um, I'm sure I'm going to feel horrible about missing somebody. But yeah, I don't know. Um, this has been so much of like, a, I'm going to make this and I'm going to grind that like nobody else was holding my hand telling me like hey this is what you're gonna do it was more like what we were talking about earlier a lot of people were like that sounds great chris but like that's a big undertaking i don't know if you should do it so nobody was inspiring me other than my community the need was there that's what was inspiring i don't think that you need to necessarily throw anybody's name just to throw it out like at the end of the day it's like who helped you find yourself right and joseph sounds like that's the man like that is the person that helped you come into your own skin it's the reason why we're enjoying five beautiful wines here because at the end of the day you too like you put in the work what would you say is like the best piece of advice that either he gave you or or it could be somebody else that gave you that's helped you in your success with Cesoles in other aspects of of your life that have really got you to where you are ahorita I think one thing and these aren't things people told me these are things I've learned so take it with a grain of salt if people don't agree but if you tend to conduct yourself in a good way you can have handshake type of business and you're just good to people because they don't have anything to offer you you know if you're just genuinely good to people sometimes that comes around and helps you so i was never going to start up my own brand brand i was just going to be a winemaker and i just got along with the growers and the bottlers and everything we just you know it just felt like why be mean to each other right years later when i started my own brand and i needed a couple of tons of grapes here or there a farmer might be like all right yeah i'm you know because i we have some rapport i'm gonna help you out that way i'm gonna give you these and pay me like in six months a bottler all right normally we don't come out and do that little of a run but i'm gonna come and do it for you you know so I love that. Just treatable respect, not because they're going to benefit you in the future, but you'd be surprised how many times people, it's a small world and, and they'll come back and the, the person you were rude to in the past is now going to be the impediment to your next step. What goes around comes around and that's not just a Justin Timberlake song. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> another thing I would say is be humble in the sense that like, you got to know your worth, so don't take abuse, but don't think you're too good for anything. So when I took the job at, at Klingerbrick in the Central Valley, I wanted to be a winemaker, but I told him, I'll be a janitor, please, I'll do anything. And he's like, well, I need a cellar master, like, because you speak English and Spanish, our workforce predominantly Spanish speaking. And so I jumped into that and he was like, if you do that well, then I'll give you this and I'll give you that and I'll give you that. So people need to be willing to, because everybody wants to be a winemaker. It's such a beautiful, poetic thing. I do get to enjoy beautiful wine dinners and, and speaking to people at a fun events. Right. But like, that's because I put the work in there. And uh, you do. so 
I never came in thinking like, well, I want to be a winemaker and I'll take nothing less than a winemaker in a sense. I told him, hey, I'll do anything you want. So if you're really trying to make it in the wine world, humble yourself and just find something, get your foot in the door and do it well. And then when you do something well, go to them and be like, I met all your goals. I've exceeded them. I think I can take on more responsibility. And this is where I would like to get that responsibility. You'd be surprised how many times people are like, yeah, I I can't tell you no, because you killed it. Because you put in the work, you proved yourself. Yeah. That's so what people I, are looking for. I can trust for. you on this next step, and now I can trust you on this next step, next step. And before you know, six years later, you're a damn winemaker. You know, show. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love it. You gotta love it. So the last two are both of those blends. Yeah, all, all, all of them are blends. Are you planning on making a new wine anytime soon that's not a blend, or do you love the the blends that you're producing at the moment? Yeah, not to say that they're I, not enough. They're 100% enough. I'm just curious to know if in your mind you have any other great varietals that you'd love to solely focus in on. Yeah, I do um, because... My experience first was that, like, most folks don't really know what a Cabernet is. And, like, most people don't. They really pretend they do. All these wine tastings, I can't tell you, this year has been the year of, what kind of wine do you like? And they're like, I like Cabs and Pinots. And and if you know about Cabs and Pinots, you know that they are diametrically kind of opposed different wine styles. And so if you like both, that's great. A lot of people do, even if they do know about wine. But most people are just throwing out names they've heard. So what Because it's really a popular grape varietal. And people are like, I don't drink Merlot because that damn movie a while ago. Sideways. Sideways. Yeah, oh, yeah. gosh. And you start hearing that stuff. And you're like, you know what? People don't, they don't really know what a Cabernet is because a Cabernet from the Central Valley to Willamette Valley to Napa, they're all 100% different. So maybe you don't like a cab specific. You really like big tannicky wines that are chewy. Okay. So I'm making experiences that way. So we progress and I'll pour you the next one in a bit. But yeah, I would like to. So this Gran Reserva is my trickiest one because it falls in between these two. And right now it's on fire. But I think what people are liking that it's a little more of a serious wine. So I put in some Merlot on that Cabin Syrah. So then mm. I kicked up the acid, dropped the alcohol, made it a little drier. Uh, so this is kind of my red wine drinker's wine. And if I'm going to keep doing that, I think I'm going to redo it as just like straight cab and make it kind of like a more serious, drier cab. Not necessarily like puckering your mouth, but a structured cab that you can feel it and it, and it lingers. Something bold and unctuous. Yeah. And so I'll do that. Um, people are asking me like crazy for Moscato. I might do something like that, but uh, <laughs> I want to do it. Your tias and your tias are like, give me that sweet Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I got you, tia. You know, um, so I started these five because I'm like, this is what I wanted to do to introduce the brand. Now on the strength of this, hopefully the next step is to start making some straight varietal wines, maybe some single vi- vineyard wines. I might only make 30 cases of a old vine Carignan this year, 120 year old Carignan. Wow. I might get enough to make like 30 cases and I want to do that. And I can only do that because these might have some commercial success because I don't, you know, we talk about this and I've heard it on your other interviews. We don't come from generational wealth. My parents are from Mexico. No, we do not. I grew up in a one bedroom apartment. I slept on the floor. I wake up in the kitchen. Like we didn't have anything and my parents worked their asses off. So hats off to them. But we didn't have anything here other than my pesitos that I had saved up a little bit. Right. So now we're just trying to leverage this and then we're going to move into some single varieties in the future. So, yeah, if, if that's what you dig, please keep an eye on Say Solis because we're going to be doing that. But uh, I'm not going to stray away from this either. 100% keep an eye on Say Solis. And if you're not already following Say Solis on Instagram, first of all, what you doing? But then Second of all, make sure that you are tapping in to all the social handles to go ahead and support Chris because the work that he's doing, the wine that he's making is amazing. What are some of those social accounts that you can Yeah, drop? reevaluate your life if you're not following already. <laughs> <laughs> so six soles vinos, the number six, S-O-L-E-S-V-I-N-O. That's on Instagram and Facebook. I couldn't do just say soles because that was like a foot fetish damn account that I can't what? get rid of yet. I can't, you know, so say soles vino, please 
please put the vino on there. And uh, that's on um, Facebook and Instagram. And those that's where I'm most active right now. Uh, I downloaded TikTok, haven't really looked at it. When I'm talking about these younger folks, because millennials, they tend to be a lot more health conscious. They're more strictly looking at what the alcohol levels and all that. And so I'm going to be making some wines that they can roll with, you know. And, and if I want to talk to them, sometimes I might have to figure out how to get on the damn TikTok. Um, I'm not. Gonna I, I, I'm neither am I. I'm like holding off. I'm like I can only have energy for Instagram Everyone, right now. Uh, Gabriela, the new uh, social media uh, <laughs> account manager for Say <laughs> <Seisoles>. Solis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I heard on a couple of interviews too, where people are doing everything. I think you do so much stuff. I don't feel like I do anything exceptionally well. So I'm just trying to make it all work. And then as it grows, maybe I can focus and hire people that are better at certain things. Oh, sir, please toot your horn a whole lot more than that because no, no, you no, are I, doing I'm, I'm things that like are very exceptionally I'm, I'm well. Being like self-deprecating or humble. It's just literally that like social media isn't my like game. Strong suit. Yeah. yeah. So like I want to get to the point where I need some help with that. Um, a CFO. Like I might be a great winemaker. I'm a horrible accountant. Uh, hey, I we need, all got our strong suits. I need a CFO. You ain't got to worry about it. I love that. Yes. Make sure you are following along. And you know what? This is a the beautiful part as we all start to support Chris's work. As we all start to support other people in the industry who are people of color. Because at the end of the day, what we have seen and certainly what you and I have talked about on multiple occasions is, you know, the lack of diversity in this industry for, for us, obviously here we can speak to Latinos specifically because that is our background. That's like our whole culture. I can't speak to anything else outside of that. And, and just for the longest time, like, again, even just looking at my family, it's always felt like the only space that we could operate in was, or be recognized in was in the vineyard. And it's just like, there are so many amazing contributions that Latinos and Latinas are making in this industry and historically have made in this industry. And the more that we allow ourselves to become exposed to that and support that, the more we end up making the conversation a whole lot bigger and the more we end up making the industry feel less pretentious and less closed off. Yeah. And we've always been on the precipice of doing this. Like, so when I was at Klinkerbrick, uh, some of those most knowledgeable people in the, in the, the winery were like the other seller hands and the seller masters because they knew every piece of equipment, how to run the wine and how dirty your wine might be and what they're going to do with it. And there was just a language barrier. So they never crossed into like assistant winemaker and winemaker and, and the brand, management yeah, admin and side. Yeah. And now we're doing it. And the people before that were like, look at my right hand man, my Mexicano over here. This is my guy. But as soon as they cross into winemaking or brand ownership, they get nervous. They look at you like, because they know more. This is not your side of the you know conversation you're supposed to be on. You guys are the very great vineyard workers. Like you and, stick with the labor yeah, and, and like I celebrate that's them it. and I, I thank them for everybody that works out there picking all of our produce and doing all that. And now there's just opportunity for them or their children to start getting into wine and becoming it doesn't have to be winemaking, it could be in distribution, sales, uh, promotions, everything. We we can be in all this and the way it's gonna happen organically for me, because I think a lot of folks they get all nervous because they think that we're gonna come in and just replace CFOs with like a, a random brown person that doesn't know what I they're mean, doing. I mean, sure, we might, <laughs> but that's because yeah. we worked hard well, and earned it. I, I don't know. The sustainable way to do it, I think, is that we create our own involvement in the wine industry and organically our kids are going to be a little more like, well, my parents always drink wine. It's not new to me. How would I become an executive in wine, right? Like, And so I think that's an organic way of doing it, like the way Roots Fund is doing it, saying mm-hmm. like, okay, we're mm-hmm. going to put these people in different industries and promote them and encourage them, empower them to grow and earn those spots. 
And then that means other people are going to come in and earn those spots. And so it's happening already. And if you're someone out there listening to this, you don't like it, like, too bad. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we here. We ain't going Agarrate. anywhere. Agarrate. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. And, and I love that, you know, you always come with this thinking process of also thinking about that next incoming generation because I'm first generation. And I know that <laughs> wine wasn't on the table. I knew about wine because my family picked the vineyards, but wine wasn't something that we enjoyed primarily because it was too expensive. But as we start to, again, solidify our own selves in this industry, in positions where we are the winemakers, where we are the producers, where we are so much of so many different things that you can get involved in, the more than that next generation sees themselves in those positions and knows like, oh, no, no, like this space is very much for us. And whether that means that's your children and now you are in a direct position to have wine at the table where your child is growing up with it and it's not just, you know, something out of sight out of mind like that's a beautiful thing because that's growth at the end of the day yeah and i think if we're talking about sustainability because there's one thing to be like right after something happens you remember i mean we talked about earlier and i hate to harp on this but after george floyd was murdered everybody was throwing up their like black boxes on instagram like, yes blackout and performative like, they, activism they themselves on the back and they're like look at you doing work i roll that ain't work and, and this process of creating organic growth in wine where we're going to be sustainable and generations are going to be a part of it it's going to be a slower process. So I love that there's folks that are like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm going to knock on the door now. I want to be a part of those groups because I'm not necessarily a pacifist. I'm very much in your face, like, let's do it. But I know that I want to set up something so that, like, when the enthusiasm starts to wane, there's roots there that'll grow, you know? Cause Regardless it, it, of there still being that enthusiasm or yeah, not. Exactly. Everybody's like, buy black, buy uh, black businesses, try black wine, promote them. But you're think, also only hearing that from a small select of yeah. people, though. Go online and look at how many people are still having conversations about racial equity and like social injustices. And it's like it being popular on social media. And I'm throwing up air quotes for those of you who aren't here. Like that's died down. And that's because those people, to me, in my eyes, were never serious about the cause. It was just the black square because it was easy to throw up and to sure. show like, oh, yeah, I'm about this. But when push comes to shove, no, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So if, I've seen opportunities where people are like, like, oh, yeah, let's have some BIPOC people in our community. Let's take pictures with them. Let's put it on our website. And people love to take pictures of their vineyard workers, while vineyard stewards, while they're picking the grapes. But, like, how many times have you promoted to say, like, let me pay these people more? Mm. You know, so when I go out there, I tell them, hey, gente, I'm going to take some pictures today. Uh, can I buy you food? Can I pay you? One year, they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to take some pictures. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be during your whole pick. So I gave them all 20 bucks. And they were like, yeah, we're good. Nobody ever pays us to take our picture. That's dope. And I'm like, look, I'm not out here to benefit on the work you're putting in but let's let's work together because that is part of the story to be told but i hate when it's performative and people are like "Ooh, i i'll get a person of color and we're gonna look like we're being uh, inclusive and that's not the case so let's let's make it and there's far fewer voices saying it now but they're strong voices and they're not going anywhere uh, just like yourself i you know once again I, you said i was creeping i didn't i didn't think i was doing all that <laughs> I was trying you. to prepare for this interview, but um, I saw, oh man, she puts in work out here and in the forefront of like Black Lives Matter. I believe Black Lives Matter. And I think black and brown folks, let's support each other and let's do this. And 100%. Then, um, La lucha is the same at the end of the day. And it's not just them. We've lived through instances where like being a Muslim American was so tough and horrible. Mm -hmm. uh, Indian. It's still not remedied. Yeah, it's still not. And then you have like, I think the other day you were talking about uh, with Mylin, is her name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so she's talking about like, this is how I'm going to do for the Korean community. And I'm like, yes, let's all do it. There's room for all of us.
There's absolutely room for all of us. He really did do his research. He's Mm -hmm. over here listening to all the previous episodes. If you haven't listened to all the previous episodes, you should, because all of these individuals are just so flipping amazing. Chris, 100% being one of them. And I think what I love the most about this is Chris is also coming from an Appalachian. Again, Lodi is always left out of the conversation. It is not all about Napa Valley wine. There is incredible wine to be enjoyed and consumed from all over the world and including outside of the United States. But this Mexicano right here is doing the damn thing and he's doing it well. Yeah, and it's not just me. You have Sam Parra out there in Oregon doing his thing. Hell yes. Uh, Shout out to Sam. If you're trying to get some wine, first of all, please consider Say Solis. But um, if you're looking to try something else and support other Latino winemakers, once again, Jessica Yanez with the Wine and Cheesement podcast. So it'd probably be like the Wine and Cheesement podcast.com. She just launched this really comprehensive list. She's going really hard on just trying to document everyone out there that's Latino making wines. And so that's a very comprehensive list. You can go and be like, let me buy from here. Let me buy from there because that's how you support them. Yeah, maybe you can like my Instagram post, but since we don't have, we're not bankrolled, I don't have an investor, uh, buying a bottle helps out tremendously. And it's not just me. There's a lot of us and there's a lot to go around. So uh, if you get a chance, please check that out. 100%. And if you're also looking for that directory, Lydia and Maria from Hispanics in Wine have an awesome directory for all the Latinos involved in wine, from winemakers to distributors to, again, they're, the wine world is so huge. And so this directory is going to be exactly that. And that's also why I'm super stoked about the Latinx Virtual Wine Summit, because we've partnered with with Angela McRae uh, and Monique Bell from Uncorked and Cultured. And like they have their sip consciously directory that's tailored all around black tastemakers, winemakers, distributors, sales reps, like every single person who is in the industry. And now this summit is our way of bridging those two worlds, amplifying Latinos because it is Hispanic Heritage Month. But at the end, what's going to result from all of this is two platforms, two BIPOC incredible platforms that are going to cross over and start amplifying one another because that's what it's going to take. La lucha is the same. The goal is the same. We're all in this together. And by doing the work together, like we're all going to rise to the top. And and it's growing so fast. I was down in Escondido earlier this year with Cassandra. She owns a place called Sip in Escondido and she made this uh, Fresh Glass Fest, so it was all black and brown tastemakers, and uh, I went and participated. I was super excited. It was hot as hell. We made it, though, but then uh, not too long ago, uh, you had, what was that event in Atlanta? A wine and Culture Fest. Wine Shout out, you Society. Dude, hey, hey, if you guys ever change the date outside of Harvest, I'll be there. <laughs> oh, man, but that's the thing. All this is happening. You have all these regions that are growing, and at some point, they're all going to merge, maybe, and may- maybe have their own flair, but we're all going to put in work together, and it's unstoppable at this point, I think. 100%, just like you in this winemaking process. This Sol Tierra is insane. Sol Tierra. I love that. Thank you. Most people are like, Sol Tierra. I'm like, no. No, Sol Tierra. tierra. Yeah, yeah. With the double R with the R. Yeah, the most important thing in winemaking is sun and soil. Um, so we call it Sol Tierra. First vintage, 2018, about to sell out. This one's a monster for me this year. Cabernet Sauvignon, Petit Syrah, Petit Verdot, and Merlot. It is so good. So this is this is my style of wine right is here. It? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. my style of wine right here. This one in the in the red blend that we just had, the second one with the, the say so yep yeah. yep oh my goodness i'm going crazy over here all right I'm about to, so do we buy wines if we want to support you through a web page yeah. directly just by hitting you up on instagram like 
How do people show support? So www.saysoles.com. That's the number six. S-O-L-E-S is the best platform. Sales can be made there. I'll ship most states. There's some states that can't take any wine. It's just the law. But um, if you want to buy there, uh, you'll have your wine within three days. So purchase there. You can choose whatever you want. We have sales going all the time. Six bottles or more. You got free uh, shipping. Okay. Yeah. So if you get a couple of bottles there, um, it'll be shipped directly to your home. No problem. Perfect. And if not, you know, you can just always go visit Lodi. Check out all of the other incredible producers. Hit up Chris and be like, hey, yo, I'm sliding through. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Come through. <laughs> give me a little bit of notice. Bring some tacos. We're good. Bring yeah. some tacos. Yeah. You got to make sure, you know, this relationship <laughs> is a two-way street. Exactly. Exactly. Well, <laughs> we were earlier talking about Armando Tam and like his energy and the fusion of food that he's doing. I think that's great because I really, I'm doing Say Solis. My next step would be, I guess if you were asking earlier, my most immediate step would be how do I start doing like monthly actual cooking with things that people can actually access and and pair them with the wines, right? Because uh, I think to a uh, way to Latinos, uh, love Heart wine is, is going to be through food. their stomach. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So like, let's talk about why this uh, ceviche doesn't always have to just go with white wine. It can go with this or that. Uh, we're talking about barbacoa, anything from oh all these regional dishes. Uh, think about a mole, de Oaxaca. Let's talk about what can go with that and the regional differences in Oaxaca and why that might go with a different wine. That's what I want to start doing. And it just feels like there's not a tough enough time today, but we're going to get it done. Hey, it's not a race. It's not a race. You know, it's a marathon. And so we just got to go the pace by what we got to go. But at the end of the day, you're in it. And we're going to make sure that we get through it. And you have, like I said, a village behind you to support. And I am definitely going to be talking to you about that off the air about, yes, doing that whole food thing and figuring out how we amplify this. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. (laughs) Y'all, it has been so amazing literally sitting here with Chris, listening to his story, just hearing about the influence, about Mexico and how that's tied in his product, the reason and the inspiration behind why he even made these incredible, incredible wines. If you haven't yet had the chance to taste Say Soles, I need you actually go directly to his webpage so we can just make sure he's capturing all of that dollar and it's not ha- happening anywhere else. But you can hit him up on his Instagram page. Say Soles Vino, number six, S-O-L-E-S-V-I-N-O. On Instagram, make sure you're following along. It's also on Facebook. But this is literally how we continue to make that table bigger, show up show out support and my friend it has literally been such a pleasure having you uh on the big sip and and thank you i literally feel like you treated me today with all of these wines these are beautiful and stunning and i just can't wait to to continue watching that growth and i'm serious i'm looking forward to la proxima vez when we're sitting here and we're talking about a whole other different thing that you've got going on because all i see in your future is continuous growth I'm ready. I'm looking for other creatives to collaborate and let's let's all do this in our own individual way. And there's room for all of us. So uh, if you're out there and listening to this, um, reach out. Let's talk about how we can collaborate and I'll amplify your wine. You amplify mine. I'll amplify your role that you want to take in wine. It could be uh, social media. It could be in organizing events. Like, like I said, man, I'm just looking to be kind of directed. So I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. If you want to learn more about Chris, he will be at the Latinx Wine Summit. So make sure you don't sleep on that either. That's happening October 13th. He's also going to be a part of our one-on-one conversation. So you can literally get to know him one-on-one. Thank you. Muchas gracias, my friend. Salud. Salud a todos. Gracias. A los latinos. Yeah. Arriba. Big sip.